the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host. And today we have Aaron Gore and Carly Warner from Garden Society, two of my very favorite ladies. Welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Ah, yes. Thank you so much for having us. The feeling is mutual. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like we we only get to see each other a few times a year, so any time that I get a chance to sit down with both of you and talk, it's always a treat. Thank you. And we've, I feel like we've known each other for so long now. Well, yeah. Well, actually, you, I feel like you and I have, Sarah, because you know my, you knew my family in the Midwest. I know. Well, I've, I've actually joked to people that you're, you're, you're basically, you're almost my cousin. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> because we both have Aunt Kathy in common. We should just call each other cousin. We should. <laughs> we should. <laughs> Carly, I don't know if you know this, but (laughs) so Aaron's Aunt Kathy and my Uncle Bob um, work together. My my Uncle Bob is an accountant and Kathy ran his office for like over 20 years. So I've known her since I was knee high to a grasshopper. I knew there was a connection, but I didn't know what it was. In Marquette, Michigan. That's right. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You betcha. Oh, yeah. So I tracked Sarah down when we were starting Garden Society. And I was like, hey. And she's like, I think we know each other. And it was like, I know. And I remember our first conversation was at Got in San Francisco at the Fisherman's Wharf. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. This was like in 2016. And I was like, we know each other. <laughs> when I called my uncle right away and I told him, he just chuckled. He was like, well, of course. That's, That's so funny. <laughs> I love it. It's a small world. It really, really is. And I, I just think that's that's a really cool thing. I mean, I, I think about like, I think in the Bay Area too, so many people are drawn here, especially there are a lot of Midwest transplants. So I, I've, through the years, I've run into people that I've known from, other places and it's like what are you doing here that's so cool that <laughs> is cool yeah I think also like the the NorCal and the Bay Area like people I don't know people flock to it and then being you know a Wisconsin transplant I flock to Midwesterners out here so it's like we kind of organically seek seek each other out yeah become fast friends you know we have a certain glow <laughs> <laughs> Sucker across the floor. Yes. <laughs> we're wide-eyed until we're not. <laughs> but speaking of those early days, well, and actually, I want to go a little further than that. Um, I always like to ask my guests about their first cannabis experience. So if, if you both want to talk about that, I don't know, Aaron, if you want to start or Carly. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I had smoked a couple times, I guess, in college. I never smoked in high school because I was a student athlete and I really hadn't um, explored cannabis yet. But I was in college at the time and I smoked in the in my friend's apartment a couple times, but I had this very prominent first outing, my first really stoned, super high 
outing to our local Mexican restaurant. <laughs> and I learned how to smoke out of the bong. <laughs> and it was my dear friend, Teresa and Kristen, my dear girlfriends. They were both chemical engineers with me. And Teresa and Kristen very heavily partake. And I was not so much. But um, anyways, I smoked out of their bong. And they were like, let's go to Pedro's Mexican restaurant. And I was like, great. That sounds awesome. And I think I was a sophomore in college at the time. And we went there and it was my like 50 kids from my graduating class that were all my sister's friends. And they were all the assholes I couldn't stand. And I was so high. And so remember that like first paranoid high staring. And we like literally sat across the bar from them. And I was like, oh my God, they know I'm so high. Oh, they can tell I'm so high. And then I was like, oh my God, they're such an asshole. Oh my God, was like, oh my God, you're obsessing about them. Oh my God, stop looking at them. Like you can just hear the like diatribe. And then it was like a total normal interaction, right? And they're friends and it was cool and it was fine. But like, you know, that first like super high and then you run into people and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm so high. You think I'm so high. <laughs> really not that high. It's Anyways, a- it was a still very prominent, experience every time i go to pedro's mexican restaurant in madison wisconsin on the west side i reminisce about my first super high bong experience (laughs) that is hilarious and then that's that time in your life where like everything is so intense anyway so you're like really heady totally i hope there were nachos involved you're like you know oh my god totally 100 (laughs) percent how about you carly um well, it's, so my first, like, weed experience was finding my dad's weed in in fifth grade. So I, like, noticed this smell that I would smell once in a while around my dad. And we had just gone through D.A.R.E. and I was like, no drugs. And I was being nosy and I found my dad's weed in, in the closet. And I was like, oh, my God, my dad does drugs. Like, mortified. I told my mom, I said, mom, I found this in dad's closet. I think it's maybe pot or maybe it's marijuana. I don't know. (laughs) I was just terrified. And they explained to me that my dad uses it to help like keep him in a better mood. And it's just, you know, it's, it's just something he enjoys. And so I kind of was like anti until my early twenties because I just had this like reverse you know, rebellion experience with finding my dad's pot. But um, the first time I got high was with my, I think I had like, you know, gotten a tiny bit high here and there. But the one that I really remember is we were in college. It was my junior year and we were partying in what was called the townhouses. And they had this huge bong and I took a big old rip. And was, so there you go, bong. Why did, a, why did we smoke from a bong? <laughs> For our first experience, we did not have good tour guides. No. So um, anyways, I just got way, way too high. And my then boyfriend, now husband, Scotty and our friend were walking me back home. And like, I wanted to jump in all the truck beds. And then I just <laughs> determined that I could like fit through this tiny hole in the fence. And then I thought it would be a good idea to go swimming in the Stockton Delta, <laughs> which I didn't do. But, but definitely they were like, oh, my God, you're like a toddler. And so, oh God, anyways, so we all laugh about it. It was totally, I mean, I, we were all laughing the whole time, but I was just trying to do all these silly things. And um, 
But then really, you know, so, you know, you have the first experience in college or had that first experience in college, but then, you know, definitely learned not to just take a giant bong rip the first time you smoke pot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's something you have to experience. What was your? For me, I was I was a little younger than both of you. I was 13. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And my best friend, Christy, who at the time I was in eighth grade. She was a sophomore in high school. Yeah, because she's two years ahead of me. And she got it from the senior. And we <clears throat> we grew up on um on a golf course. So we and it was it was winter, so we put our snowshoes on and we went out deep into the golf course because we figured there'd be no adults. So we were sitting in one of those <laughs> little golf shelters. And um I I think I think I think we actually used for a pipe my um, actually, no. Yeah, we did my. So my father's parents are from Iran and they had a little a little teeny brass water pipe that my mom uses a decoration on the bookcase. I, and I realized later on that she they actually had occasionally smoked from it when like my aunt would come home from college. She would bring pot when we were asleep and they once in a great while would smoke because I remember it tasted funny when I would like you know, inhale off of it. But there was a bit, my mother was always meticulous. She cleaned it. So there was like no ash. You couldn't tell, but we took it. (laughs) We took it and we smoked it. Oh, it was so funny. We didn't get high though. We got red eyes, but we didn't feel like we were high. So I told her, I was like, this is horrible. You should get your money back. And so she, (laughs) she went back to the senior and she told him that we didn't get high and that we wanted our money back. And he took, he took it and he just took it. (laughs) We didn't get anything back. She's like, bye. You're like, is this oregano? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. It was my my first lesson commerce. My mom's first uh, smoking. We had this funny interchange because you guys grew up in the same world, like we talked about. Uh, My mom's first smoking weed was with the nuns in the backseat of the car at the Catholic school in Marquette, Michigan. What? In eighth grade. Yeah. They all, like the nuns smoked weed with other students in the backseat of these cars. And I was like, man, there must not be a lot to do in Northern Michigan. No. (laughs) No. In the winter. Now, see, that's a good story. I didn't, I didn't smoke with (laughs) Yeah, right. I had to get to the Bay Area to to smoke with any religious folk back in probably back in the early 2000s I did get high with a cantor and a rabbi once we were in a bathroom and we were pressing our lips against the screen to blow out of the bathroom oh my god that's funny that's hilarious I mean it was reformed congregation the cantor played a guitar so there's that Fast forward, how did how did both of you decide to make the shift into cannabis? And also how did how did the concept of Garden Society come about? Yeah, so um I moved to California away from the Midwest in two thousand nine and I at the time um you know I was like I, I like to smoke. I enjoyed smoking, but I didn't have access in the Midwest like people do in California. And so I really became interested in it. 
at the same time, I was dealing with a lot of chronic pain. I had my first hip rebuilt in 2011 and my second in 2012. And so leading up to those big surgeries and recovery thereafter, um, I got my medical card in the 215 world, started going to the dispensaries. I had met and was dating my now husband, who's a farmer. And so I became very interested in the cannabis plant. It was something that I kind of understood, but at the end of the day, it brought me a lot of relief um, from my chronic pain and an alternative to these opiates that the doctors were prescribing me. And so I really became passionate about the products and about how it really made me feel better. And then um, in my 215 journey, like through the dispensaries, I realized there just weren't any products for me. Um, there were, at the time, I don't know if you remember, the, some people call it the golden days of edibles. But if you're a low-dose person, it was pretty hair, hairy when you're looking at down the barrel at 100 milligrams brownie. <laughs> right. As of your thumb. And you're like, how do I eat this and go to work? <laughs> and so um, I started, ended up making products. And I really... I'm a chemical engineer by degree. I love to craft and tinker and make and create. I can, I bake, I cook. So I really got into blending my knowledge of stoichiometry and chemistry with um, liking to make things, basically, and started making edibles for myself that were properly dosed for what I needed versus what I could buy in the dispensary. So um, I journeyed on that. I in you know, I feel like so many women of today was trying to do it all. It was trying to just lean in and be the best version of myself and have a career and have a husband and have all my friends and have a family. And at the end of the day, I would basically go to bed miserable feeling like I failed everywhere because I couldn't figure out how to just find that balance. And I kept turning back to cannabis to help me drink less, help me just manage my stress, help me be peaceful, help me most importantly, get a good night's sleep. I was having a very fast career. At the same time, my husband launched a joint venture with Constellation. Um, I was traveling around the world, and I'd land and go to a wine event with him and be the wife on the arm. And that's actually how I met Carly. Um, it's through the wine world. We'll come back to that. But it's this cannabis that just helped me be present and helped me not get into my own head about it, not be emotional. Um, and so I started having girlfriends over, and we started having these, like, cookie exchanges, for lack of a better word. Uh, we called them the high holiday baking parties at the time. And we'd make treats and everybody would walk away with like five of every recipe, if you can visualize it, nice. <laughs> on a monthly basis. And it was at one of these parties where I had this incredible weight lifted off my shoulders where there was almost 50 women at my house. And I realized for the first time that I was just normal and that what I was struggling within myself around fertility and managing my career and managing my personal relationships and showing up in the way I wanted to show up was the same struggle every other woman was having around me. And that this wasn't a me problem, but this is a woman problem. And then I realized all these women were there because cannabis can help. And they all wanted cannabis education and cannabis products. So um, it was really the precipice for building Garden Society was really building products and community and education. And so um, I ended up winning business of the year. I had my third miscarriage. I went and saw my mom's best friend who had stage four breast cancer. And, you know, she was the one who really pushed me to quit and take the leap. And I flew to China two weeks later and quit my job and set out to build it. And then I had like PTSD shock and <laughs> freaked out for a couple months. I didn't have a car. So I remember like 
thinking I had to wear a suit because I came from the German corporate culture. And so I was riding my, they took away my company car, like, you know, six weeks after I quit. Surprise, surprise. Of course they did. Right. <laughs> so I was riding my cruiser bike in a full suit going to these meetings to try to like network and figure out how to launch a cannabis company. And I was like, <laughs> oh no. And so I like, visualize this around Healdsburg, right? So, but I got in the car eventually. I got settled. I realized the weed industry is a lot less formal than the German corporate culture <laughs> I was used to. And um, I actually started building the company and realized really quickly I needed a co-founder. I realized really quickly I needed somebody who was, I say, my yang to my ying. I'm very good at many things and I'm very not good at many things. And so, um, I reached out to Carly. It was in like, I think July, September, September. I reached out to you and I had the idea. We launched in December, December at Emerald Cup. So I started working on building the company, but was like very rough and very scratched out and very <laughs> needed a lot of massaging, let's just say. Um, and I asked Carly if she wanted to um, meet for coffee. I didn't even have her phone number at the time. We, Carly, I'll let Carly talk about her own stuff, but we met when we were working with Constellation in the wine world. So we met at Carly's previous job and just loved our time together. And I'm so blessed that she said yes. That's you want to talk about Thank how you. you got here? Why you said yes is crazy. Every <laughs> time you tell that story, I'm just like, I just, it's, I can't believe that we connected together like that because we do have this amazing partnership built on like trust and honesty and respect and the same values. But like, we didn't know all that when we, we started. Were really friends. No, I mean, we, I mean, we always had fun together. Yeah. We were friends and we like respected each other, but it was like, I like was so attracted to Carly because she was so different than me in so many ways. And I was like, I need somebody who's super different than me. Yeah. But like, we always had a great time. We always talked about weed. We went to Aspen Food and Wine and like, well, all we did was go pound gummies. <laughs> <laughs> and like, we went, we would go to like the fanciest of the fancy wine, whatever you can imagine. And like, all we did was like, schnob about weed. And like, <laughs> just say like, oh, I really wish I could go smoke a joint right now. Even though we yeah. have this like, amazing $200 bottle of Pinot Noir in front of us. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so I don't know. It was just the way we connected. I think that that yeah. it was for me. I kept going through. I I actually kept like making lists of people and skill sets and personalities, and I kept you know I kept and I kept. And my husband was part of it too. And um, it always came back to Carly. Yeah, it always did. Well, and that's so that's a cool. beautiful thing because you know sometimes well a lot of times actually most of the time, it's really hard to do business with a friend. Yeah. Yeah, totally. This is true. Um, and then you have to tell later the story of when you went on your trip. It was like the road to Egypt and you, with the guy with the trailer that you couldn't oh. remember and you got lost. My first cannabis business meeting. Yeah. Okay. You have to tell that real quick and then we'll go. To <laughs> I want to hear this. My first cannabis business meeting, I was meeting with a local extractor because I was really interested in all these different types of chemistries available. And I met him at a women's grow. Remember when women grow existed in California? Yeah. I met this interesting couple at Sonoma County women grow. And I was like, I didn't even have a company name at the time. And I was like trying to get samples because I was trying to figure out like product development. And I was like, I don't know. I always just used trim or bud and made my own shit. So I was like, 
oh, I wonder if I could get some of these like interesting oils that people make, right? And so I set a meeting with him and he, he dropped a pin to me and I was like, okay. And I had like my clipboard and my office <laughs> outfit and I was like, I had a car at this point. So I went out there and all of a sudden like straight out of uh, Breaking Bad, this like rusty, I was like literally there in the middle of nowhere, rural West County, Sonoma County. And I was like, clearly at the wrong spot. And this like rusty, weird ass RV pulls up and I was like, is that my meeting? Oh, no. <laughs> I think that's my meeting. <laughs> it was like straight out of 215. Like, and I was like, uh, I mean, this wasn't exactly what I was expecting when we were going to meet in your office. <laughs> but it worked out. <laughs> but it worked out. It taught me that I needed to make our own extracts and not rely on other people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like when people, especially in the 215 days, when people were you know, you're first getting acclimated, you start to realize this isn't a, this isn't a regular party. <laughs> it's a little no. different. Yeah, exactly. You know, I always joke that um, people in the cannabis business, and, and I, I think it's, you know, it's changing, but it hasn't changed that much. But I'm always like, yeah, we're, we're all kind of a little part carny. It's a little strange. <laughs> we're all oh, renegade. <laughs> yeah, totally. 100%. 100%. <laughs> so Carly, you have to talk about how you got into the space. Um, so, so as Aaron said, you know, I started out in the wine industry and I used to, my husband grew, he and his buddy were working on this. Um, they were working on this project for a, like a light depth system. And so they were constantly growing cannabis and like exploring and experimenting and so I would go help, like, take care of the plants. And um, it was really interesting to me. And then we all come home and, you know, smoke. And I just loved, you know, the laughter. And, and we would have so much fun. And I was um, uh, have suffered from uh, anxiety and depression since my teenage years and had been on different pharmaceuticals that definitely worked at times. Um, but then at other times, you know, the the side effects were worse than the cure, I guess. And so um, I started just sort of dabbling with cannabis at night around helping me sleep um, on the weekends around, you know, just sort of being more relaxed during the day, helping with my anxiety. And uh, because my husband and his friends were so knowledgeable, they would kind of like bring home strains that were good for me and worked for me. So that was really fun. You know, I didn't really know any women who were into cannabis until I met Aaron. It was always something that I did with my husband and his friends. And so we were launching Aaron's husband's wine brand through Constellation at Blue Hill at Stone Barns out in New York, this big media dinner. And um, I met Aaron that night, and then we went out to, um, to, you know, have drinks afterward at the Nomad Hotel and that's where we really had this rich conversation around cannabis and our love for it and just really connected over being like, you know, women and businesswomen and all of this, but also having this other kind of side where, you know, we were open to experimentation of, of you know, cannabis and having fun in that way. And so we really connected there. And as Aaron said, on the, on the trips that came after, we continued the conversation and and I remember sitting at Aspen Food and Wine at this restaurant and we were all eating this big pile of French fries and Erin was talking about the edibles company that she was going to found. 
And so it was years later that she reached out to me, but I was like, oh my gosh, she's doing it. Like, here we go. Here we go. And um, like Erin, I had some pretty um, intense uh, fertility issues. I, my first daughter was stillborn in 2013. And then five months later, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And it was a really challenging year, but through sort of, my healing and then his, you know, cancer experience and watching him use cannabis to help him, you know, from the, he had, he was on a pretty uh, rigorous chemo treatment. And so kind of seeing the wellness that it brought forward before that, it was really more about like, Oh, it helped with anxiety, but it was also just fun and laughter and community. And after that, it was like really understanding the wellness aspect of it and the healing that it can create and we went on another three years of miscarriages to finally have our daughter. <laughs> so it was very, you know, that was really emotional and really challenging. And, and it really built our relation, helped build our relationship together. But by the time we had our daughter, I was like, all right, I'm not going back to full-time corporate America. I'm not doing it. I have this beautiful baby. I'm going to be home with her as much as I can. And then, of course, two months after I quit my job, Erin reached out. <laughs> And so I held them, I had the meeting with her, but I was like, okay, I'm super interested and I loved her energy and I really wanted to do it. But I was like, just gave up on, you know, really great opportunity to be with my daughter. She was a hard negotiator. I had to pay her. She only would work so many hours a week. Child yeah. Care. Well, I, wasn't was gonna, I wasn't going to do it if it was going to, you know, not yeah. fit my lifestyle. So anyways, it started out with like two days a week and, you know, then it went to full time eventually. But it was just really nice that I could start slow. And also as you're building a brand, you know, I didn't need to necessarily be on full time. It was, you know, we built it as we went. And then mm -hmm. if we needed more and more, then I would put more and more hours in. But um yeah, you know, I just, I love the community that cannabis brings together. I love the laughter and the, just all the different ways that you can incorporate it into your life to bring more joy and, and balance. Yeah. And like how lucky for us that we sell products that make us feel good. And at the end of the day, how lucky for us that we sell weed, right? Like what a privilege. It's true. And it's, it's really interesting to hear the stories about how, people get into it and and I know like for myself like you know think about like that 13 year old girl in in the middle of winter in the golf course it's like I wasn't thinking about you know being in my late 30s going through cancer and using it as a tool you know we don't right, right. We, we don't really think I mean I remember like being in college and hanging out with this guy who was saying you know cannabis isn't just good for getting high He's like you know if you have the flu it actually is really helpful and I was like that just sounds counterintuitive like why would I want to be high if I'm already not feeling good and he's like well actually you know it helps with the aches and pains and helps you rest so you feel better and it is one of the things that I actually do use when the few times that I've come down with the flu in recent years but you don't really like I think a lot of us not only enjoy cannabis, but have done the shift when there have been things in our life that have changed. And, you know, corporate, there's there's corporate and there's corporate, right? There's, we have a corporation, we run a business, and then there's the corporate mentality, which I think is is pretty toxic. Like, coming from an operations HR background, you know, when I started working at Apothecarium, I really thought it was going to be 
temporary while I was going back to school to get a master's in org psych. And I even had my thesis picked out. Was, there's nothing human in human resources because I was so sick of it. I was like, this is not an advocacy job. I have, and people were getting frustrated with me because I was like, I'm a worker advocate. And they're like, you work for us, woman. You know? <laughs> but that was, you know, for me, like just working in the environment, working with people and something that's so impactful that I enjoy. I mean, you're right. How lucky are we? to be in this. And when your products first came out, I remember thinking, because you were one of the, your, your products and like, you know, Stephanie, who has mellows were some of the first lower dosage products in the market. And a lot of people from the 215 days were like, what are we going to do with this? And it's like, yeah, but see, here's the thing as things open up, we have more users that are wanting something that's lighter, functional or even to get euphoric effects they don't need as much as a lot of the people who had medical cards that were using it i mean even back in the day like i don't do you do you remember auntie dolores yeah mm -hmm. for sure. so she, there was a i think it was a caramel pecan brownie that they had and it was little it was like one of those little brownie bites that you get like in the the tubs mm -hmm. at costco mm -hmm. And this woman wanted to have it. And I always was asking a lot of questions because you start to realize that people aren't really thinking about dosage, you know, especially when they're looking at a substance like cannabis. It's just not something that occurs to people, even though for those of us working in it, that would make sense. And it was like, I think it was like 112 milligrams for that tiny, tiny brownie. And I remember this woman saying, oh, that looks really good. Yeah, I was like, have you used cannabis before? Well, no, but it just sounds really tasty. I'm like, I don't think you should buy this. And then she kept going back and forth with me. <laughs> Either that or look at like a lollipop if you do. Yeah. Well, and I just finally, I just stopped and I put my hands on the counter and I looked her in the eye. I'm like, listen, if you buy this brownie, you're going to be holding on to the toilet, talking to Jesus, even if you don't believe in him. <laughs> and it's not going to yep. be fun. And so then she like looked at me, her eyes got wide and she stopped. But like when your products came out, it was so nice to be able to give somebody something that I knew they didn't have to be as careful about dividing up. Like Jeff and I were actually talking about it before um, we got on the call today. He's like, he's like, you remember that's, you know, because when you used to do the Pat to Fouise, that was the first, yeah. that's the first edible that Jeff's mom tried. She's in her 80s. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. And she used to have half of one of those and she'd sleep like a baby. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy. The original passive wee of the California marijuana market. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Before Martha. Way before Martha. <laughs> Martha, way. <laughs> well, you'll be really glad to know that the gummies are making a resurgence and they're surfacing in about two weeks. Oh, I'm excited. They're coming back. They're coming back different. They're not the same type of flea, but they're coming back. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Um, we, I know you think about it and we talked to people, um, we did a lot of internal soul searching and you want to talk about like the evolution of the company. Because when we launched, we were a low-dose edible brand, right? Mm -hmm. And so 5-milligram and 10-milligram edibles. And the idea of a 5-milligram and 10-milligram edible in 2016 was foreign. 
for the California market. Oh, yeah. Now, think about it. The max dose is 10 milligrams. So we're 10 milligram chocolate, but we're considered a high dose on the shelf now. And so Isn't when you think funny? about how far the market has changed compared to where the medical market was to the rec market of today, it's been really dramatic. Yeah. So we, we started as this like can of curious, low dose edible company. And then we had to actually shift our focus because a lot of these low, low, low dose companies started where they're doing one milligram, two milligram products. And that's great. So, but we, that wasn't us and we didn't want to make that low dose of product. And so we actually shifted from a serving this like can of curious consumer that you speak about at the, at the bar when you're blood tending to the hundred milligram brownie versus the 10 milligram chocolate. We shifted from that to being a can of competent consumer because now that 10 milligram is that highest dose you can get in the market for edibles. And so um, we were having this new consumer, new, new, new consumer, like, whoa, be careful on 10 milligrams, right? <laughs> Isn't it funny how things change? What are, what are some of the, I mean, as you've evolved, what have been some of the challenges and greatest learning lessons that you've had around this? The oh. whole um, <laughs> I know it's a big question. I think learned, yeah, I mean, I think part of it, there have been so many aspects of learning. There was, you know, just learning how to build a business, it yeah. was learning how to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like now we're in this groove where, like, we know that I'm going to always be a little more apprehensive and Aaron's always going to be a little more like, let's go. And so we, like, balance each other in that way. But it was, at first it was, like, figuring out, you know, kind of, you know, that piece of it. And then there was, of course, just, you know, going from 216 to the regulated. Mo- <laughs> Sorry. I, I sat it. together. We might have been gummy taste testing this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yet. But, um, sorry, 215 to the regulated market and, um, you know, trying to work like the, we were all building our businesses at the same time. So it was like the brands were building, the manufacturers were building, the distributors were building. So there were so, I mean, there was one time where we like signed with a new distributor and two weeks later they shut down and we had to get all our, everything back from them. It was great. Then there were, um, you know, times that we signed with a manufacturer and they made like good test products. And then we went to make, you know, the actual product for the shelf and it wasn't, it was not usable. So, you know, there's just been, but it's, it's growing pains and we've learned from, I feel like we've learned a lot from each experience and we're now in a place where we have these sort of guardrails up. We have really good boundaries. We, we are very focused on, like, we know what our vision is. We know what our goal is. We know who our consumer is and, and we've stayed small and nimble enough that we can turn on a dime, which I think is essential in cannabis. I think where some companies have come into trouble is they grow too big, too fast, and then you can't you can't be nimble, and you have to have that mobility in this industry. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, if you think, for me, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is, like, Carly and I, like she said, we've really worked on our relationship and our partnership, and that's, like, showed itself in space in the business. And then I think we just, like for me personally, raising capital and how to fund our business and finance it, because gone are the days that you could just sell product and make money and fund your business in cannabis with all the regulatory hurdles. And, the, you know, we have a 5,800 square foot manufacturing facility up in Sonoma. We're expanding. Um, and so 
like the whole learning curve for fundraising and what's involved in that, but then also recognizing there's other ways to do business. It's very easy in cannabis to get caught in the hype and to get caught in the PR cycle of this company raised this much money and this company raised this much money and, you know, figuring out how to blaze our own trail in a, for what we need for our business the right way, the right time, because timing is so critical, I think has been just tremendous to see how far we've come and then what that means for what our future looks like. Yeah, that I mean, the strategy around that is, is so essential because as we've seen, there have been companies that have raised some sizable capital that have blown it. Yeah, lots, lots and lots and lots. Probably more than anybody even realizes, to be honest. Yeah. Unless you peek under the roof. Um, you know, we've done a couple things. So we've like, it was definitely hard going, but like we built a real business. We didn't go out and try to buy market share. We didn't overpromise our investors, right? Mm-hmm. There are so many companies that say, oh, I just need to raise this money and I can do this. And they can't actually, because they underestimate how mature the California market is or how competitive it is or how challenging and fragmented it is. So, um, you know, I feel really like, I think that's a little bit about being a woman. I think it's a little bit about being a Midwesterner that we, you know, we had an investor ask us, how confident are you in your projections? And I was like, 85%. 5% because I have a vagina, 5% because I'm from Wisconsin, and 5% because of the OS factor of California. And they're (laughs) like, well... If you were a dude, you would have just told me 115%. And I was like, yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So we've been able to find really incredible men who are champions. And then we put together this really innovative women's slate of investors. So now we're becoming known as the women in the company with all the women investors, which is incredible to have women show up with their dollar to support you and your company. So it's been so empowering to Carly and I, and also so incredibly valuable for what else these women bring to us besides just a pocketbook. Yeah. I mean, it really, it really does take kind of getting your experts in, and surrounding yourself with them to be successful. Right. And you, you yeah. and along with your challenges and victories, you've also, I, I feel like, you know, you've shown up to the community as to how to do business, especially with all the things that you do around. Can we have a conversation about corporate responsibility and and how you you give back and you're engaged in your community? Thank you. Yeah, I think it was, you know, I do think there's such a benefit to having that corporate background because you think about what a publicly traded company, like all the facets of it. And I happened to, you know, Constellation was very great about their CSR work, their corporate social responsibility. And so as soon as we were in a position to start, you know, giving back and collaborating and working as a team with other women, making sure that we're, you know, that we have a a diverse set of partners, you know, that the people that we're working with are women that weren't you know, we were out there pounding the pavement, raising money and trying to sell in product as women and realizing how challenging it was. And we felt like we had this opportunity to then turn and lift up, you know, other women who are, who were building their businesses, maybe a couple steps behind us and give back and and recognize like, look, in order to change this culture, in order to really make a difference, we need to start doing what we, we weren't experiencing at the beginning. So, um, you know, we have worked to, you know, or um, to be mentors to to um, 
some different businesses and businesswomen and just even like connecting people, bringing people together. And then we do have our first official, um, you know, kind of like CSR program with this incredible nonprofit called Sad Girls Club. And it's a, a 501c3 dedicated to bringing mental health access to black and brown women in the millennial and Gen Z generations. And so um, just working to look at like, you know, mental health is so important to us. I think mental health and cannabis are so intertwined. Mm -hmm. Um, And also just recognizing that there's so much stigma around mental health, just like there's so so much stigma around cannabis. So talking about it and being open about it and sharing our stories and then supporting, you know, now that we're in a position where we can support with action and dollars, doing that and really giving back. It's really important. I mean, and it's it's something that I feel like there were a lot of players that were actually, and I can't even call them players because we were so homegrown in the 215 days. There were just lots of people that were in cannabis, but were also realizing that they wanted to give as much as they they got. And that's why we had such great programs even around like mental health and yoga and all these things that, you know, companies were supporting back then. And then when we got into legalization, we had people who couldn't afford to, it wasn't sustainable for them to support programs anymore because they were going underwater. And then we had new players that were just more about the money grab. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's beautiful that, you know, you, you're not only doing it, but you're, I think in many ways, like people watching you do that creates that framework for other people to replicate what you're doing for giving back because it really is all hands on deck when we talk about supporting our communities. I feel like one of the most interesting parts of becoming a mom and, and teaching my child is the importance of modeling. I can tell her things all day long, but if she sees me do or act, do something or act in a certain way, I immediately see her sort of following that. And so I feel like it it just makes it very visual for me, like how important it is to model and to be, you know, to truly do what you say you're going to do and live the way you're say that you say you're going to live. Um, Because like you're saying, people see that and they're like, Oh, I, you know, that's, you know, we should be doing that or whatever. So, and I should also argue that I think a lot of people, um, unless you're intimate in the community or in the industry, probably don't know that we're doing all this too, Sarah. Like, yeah, they don't understand. They don't understand our participation in the community and how our efforts around really supporting others in the ecosystem and and this new Sad Girls Club program that we're we're launching. And you know that's okay because it's not about performative marketing and it's not about the recognition and all of that. So it's something that we talk a lot about. It's like how do we communicate this in the right way and how are we authentic to our purpose and you know, how do we just continue to show up and do the work? Yeah. And I, I think that that's really important. I think, um, you know, I think that the cannabis cannabis in general, there's like from the PR standpoint, there's a lot of hype, a lot of people chest beating and saying that they're doing certain things, but you know, how far they're into it or how much impact they have, we don't necessarily know. All we're doing is getting the messaging. But there are companies like yours that are in there doing the work. And it's, 
I don't know. Maybe, you know, I, I kind of wonder, too, if that comes from, you know, our Midwestern roots, where it's kind of like I was raised, you know, if you do a good deed, you talk about it. Is it really a good deed or is it all about you? And, you know, we do need to highlight it, of course, because we want to mm-hmm. not only have reach to be able to help people, but we want people aware of what we're doing so that, you know, they do join in or, you know, and it isn't about like illuminating, you know, a company being like, we're so awesome. We're doing all these things, but it's more like we're doing this and, and we're doing it out of responsibility and we want to inspire other people to do the work as well. And that's, that's actually been something that for, you know, putting my Apotha hat on now, like Apothecarium, we, we for years, ever since our inception have been really community oriented, but, you know, because of our leadership, you know, Ryan has always been very low key about talking about all the great things we do. So, you know, we've this year has been kind of that painful, the growing pains of how do we toot our own horn about things so people know. But it is coming from the right the right place. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is when you do talk about it, then you're you're elevating and bringing forward the other, you know, the people who, who are, you know, sort of being lifted up with you. And so I think from that perspective, it's positive because that's bringing that, drawing them forward and bringing them into light in the picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of, it's, it's a, there, there are subtleties around it that people just need to be cognizant of. And I think, you know, we need, we need to be talking about these things. We need to be sharing our stories and it excites people because then they're like, I can do that. That's possible for me. I just need to figure out, you know, what framework is viable for what I'm doing to be able to give back. I mean, like for myself with my private practice, it's, it's hard when you're constantly having people, when you work in education, everybody wants you to just kind of help them out on a phone call. Like, Hey, I got to I got a quick question for you, you know, and so I have, <laughs> I mean, hey, can I take your brain? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, well, that costs money. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then there's the yes. And, you know, I, I actually allocate so many hours a year for my pro bono work to make sure that, because, you know, I've, I've had it. Good for you. That's my you, you got it. Jeff is always telling me, you're going to give away the farm, girl. Like, you do so much stuff for free. How are you going to, like, fill your own well and actually, like, get your work done? And and that's, you know, I, I sometimes will joke with people. It's like, yeah, well, you know, mama needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> I need exactly. to eat. <laughs> well, and your time is worth something, too. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And it's, you know, there's, and also yeah. there's a whole thing around, like, there are people who really need help, and then there are other people that, you know, if they get it for free, how? where's the value behind it? Because there is a certain value around, you know, investing in yourself when you're, you know. 100%. Yeah, yeah. We that, talk about it all the time. It's important, too, and I think especially as women, it's important for us to talk about it because we tend to be, you know, much more it's not that we don't have a business mindset. I just think that we tend to be a little bit more generous with our time and a little bit more social and wanting to kind of like, it's like I'm rising up and let's take everybody with us. And that's all well and good to a certain extent. Well, I also think there's an innate insecurity in women that even Carly and I have in our business. 
And I think there is a, oh, I'm like, is the invoice amount okay? Are you comfortable with my rate? Um, does that, right. is, is that like, are, are you all right with it? Right? Like, you know, versus like, dudes are like, I gave you a discount pay. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't... I actually charge more because of who you are. I'm going to discount it for you. But like, <laughs> it's, you know, and women are like, women are like, is that okay for you? Do you mind? You know? And I just think that's like a societal thing of how women and girls are raised. Oh, and that yeah. security. Absolutely. Well, prior, I don't know if I told you to this, but prior to the pandemic, I actually got a coach to teach me how to, how to talk like a guy. <laughs> I was like, I'll I want call you. You can practice. I know. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we can practice on each other. I was like, I need you to teach me how to think like a bro. And he's like, Okay, let's do it. <laughs> That's so great. It's just like confidence and yeah, I mean there's just it's super interesting. <laughs> it is super interesting. And I think, you know, it has it it that gender definitely plays a part in it and then, you know, where you're from, like you know, the culture here is a lot different than the Midwest. It's like I, I used to joke, you know, and I and I love my Californians and I consider myself a Californian after 25 years. I probably should. But, you know, I say I'm, yeah. from, I'm from the Midwest. When we tell you that we want to have lunch, we actually mean it. <laughs> that's funny. But it's like, let's get lunch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh God, that's, funny. <laughs> that's great. Um, hilarious. And you've you've had like a lot of growth, like as far as it just. I mean, when you're talking about, you know, I call it the art of the pivot. It's it's like not only have you had your edibles, but you just you just uh, released a hash infused joint product. You've had your rosettes on the market for a long time. Um, now you're collaborating with Sitka because you've. It seems like. What I'm seeing with the pattern with the two of you is that if you come across a problem, you've learned how to like make it like create some sort of structure in garden society to handle it, like with distribution. Tell me how you came about like deciding to work with other products around distribution and how that's made things easier or more difficult for you. Yeah, it's a good question. Thank you, I guess, first for recognizing that. Um, we, so our pre-rolls, you know, basically we make products we love. <laughs> That's where the crux of our product development comes from. So we loved edibles, but we still love to smell flour and love flour. And so we started um, producing pre-rolls because we really wanted that form factor. We wanted the small pre-roll. We didn't, we're terrible at rolling joints. Um, and, you know, they've been really well received in the market. To that point, when we were thinking about where are we going and what do we like, we really became interested in an infused pre-roll because we wanted to make, for this kind of can of confident consumer, for us, we wanted to make, like, I needed to get super high one night and I was, like, smoking multiple rosettes and I was like, this ain't cutting it. I need some more juice. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, and we were really interested. We also looked at the market data. We looked at the categories that were growing. We looked at what our strengths were in manufacturing. And so part of the pandemic, we kept moving. We started working with contract manufacturers back in the day, but we kept moving more and more and more manufacturing in-house. Um, we have a type six license here. And so we really started to anchor on creating products for this can of confident consumer. And that's what brought about the hash line. 
And now with that, we were also looking at how do we continue to grow our business in a healthy way? So it's not growth at all costs. It's not buying market, but it's saying like, how do we create high quality products that consumers will love? And we met Sipka through an investor connection, actually, and um, really had a passion for hash ourselves and realized there were really um, few hash brands in the market. And we thought it was a really interesting market opportunity. We thought it was interesting for us. We also, frankly, wanted to play bro. And Garden Society is such a female-forward brand that it's interesting 67% of our consumers are men. So it's not that we're for women, but we are female-forward in our appearances and our education and our flavors. Um, and so we wanted to play more of the traditional cannabis market, lower price, more bro more simple and how do we do that in an authentic way and so we were able to create a really good business relationship with Sikta it was financially really strategic for us um, it really it's interesting because the Sikta stores are totally different than the Garden Society stores yeah I think there's maybe only a handful that they cross over in and so um, it's expanded our reach it's expanded our revenue it's expanded our perception in the market because now instead of people viewing us as a female brand, they're viewing us as a quality manufacturer. And we're having more and more people come to us with licensing opportunities, with contract manufacturing opportunities. And it's really opened a different avenue for us that we weren't perceived in prior to the launch of Sitka. So I think it's just like to your original question, like how did we do it or why? It's just being really laser focused around growing a healthy business and continuing to grow, but doing it smart and doing it strategic and doing it with products people really like. Because I think there's a lot of cannabis products that people launch that like aren't that good or are just normal. Like I had a call with somebody who was launching a flower brand and they wanted us to license it. And it was a bunch of smalls and they wanted me to pay them a licensing fee to launch packaged smalls in a tin in the market. And I was like, yo bro, like no way. sorry like I'm not gonna like there's plenty of that in California like what are we doing here you know what I mean like uh yeah so yeah so it's been like really interesting and then because we saw the called the shit show that was the California transition from 215 to 64 with getting caught up in people going out of business and people owing us money and so we worked really hard at the start of the 64 process to get vertically licensed so at all times we could backstop ourselves and that has just shown to be so beneficial for distribution for manufacturing because at the end of the day we will take care of ourselves and we can and we're not dependent on anyone else so we work with herbal we have an incredible relationship with them but if they mess up an order or something's an emergency or apothecarium has a promo and forgets to put the order in we can run it down and so we're able to be back to carly's point super agile and nimble and just serve our customers the best way we can. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, that that's, I think that's everybody's dream for their business to be able to have that because it's a lot of work. I mean, I know that you had to do a lot to get there and it's not necessarily something that everybody has like the fortitude to follow through on, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's what's going to help you survive. And I have to say that, I've really enjoyed the Sitka products. I, I have that the hash dome and I love that. And I've tried 
the indica and sativa pressed hash. Um, I over the Labor Day weekend, I tried one of the Sid Carillos, but I'm really excited. I oh, I can't yeah. wait to um to be able to get my hands on some, the hybrid and the indica of those because it was I had a sativa that day and I was working on some writing and it was nice because it was like. I'm I'm sensitive to sativas, but I can have certain ones. And this one was just very bright and awake, but still having like a nice stoniness so that I could get into like the creativity of writing. Um, and it was just cool. Like, like you were saying, there are a lot of people doing the same things and um, what they're doing is, is different. And it's also in some ways it's advanced, like with the Sid Carrillo's, how they do, um, how they roll out the hash and wrap it around the joint is a very different thing. But then you also have the traditional pressed hash, which we don't we don't see as much anymore. And it's something that people who are new to it are fascinated by. And then for people who are nostalgic about it, because I'll tell you when I was behind the bar, anytime you bring out a pressed hash for an older dude, he like would get so excited. He'd be like, Lay it on me. I'm taking that home, you know. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, I'm glad now you have. Yeah, it's been so fun. We have our the um, we actually have a lot of women who work in our manufacturing facility, and you'll have to come up here because it's so fun to see them roll the hash out, and then you just can't believe how paper thin they can get it, and then it's just so beautifully wrapped around the joint and the smoke. It you know it's in that glass bottle with the wax. Feel. Mm-hmm. And so to have it's like a fun experience for sure. We're super proud of that product. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful. Well, and I kept it in my in my smoke box for a little bit because it just looks like something that you would take out for a special occasion or gift. But I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't stop looking at it. I was like, no, nah, I gotta crack this open. <laughs> <laughs> like I gotta see what this is all about. I yeah. know when I finally smoked my first one, I was like, oh my goodness, that is fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I'm really looking forward to the time when, you know, everybody can safely get together and start enjoying things like that again. But, you know, I have to say, <laughs> I've never been much of a puff puff pass person anyway. So I'm kind of digging this puff puff don't pass, which is why like actually yeah. <laughs> and when I did the video on sure. your on your um for apothecarium on your pre-rolls, that was one of the things that I said. I was like, We are in the land of puff puff don't pass. So if you you know, you can buy a pack of the rosettes, either the hash infused or the non hash infused, and you can still share the experience with somebody because it's small enough that you can handle it on your own. Totally. Yeah. I think um, it was really fun. We had a consumer write in and tell me that uh, he just has been loving our rosettes through the pandemic and that he even would leave um, one. He loved that it was a pack of 10 because he would leave one behind when he saw friends and like leave it in a little spot where they'd find it and be like, oh, what's this? Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's such a great story. I loved that. That's so cool. Well, what are you looking at in the future? What are you excited about? Super excited to launch our gummies. We uh, have been taste testing and they're super delicious. They're going to be fast acting, wine country flavors, um, and still in our three category, you know, effect categories, blissful rest, brighter day, calm and focus. So super excited about we that. Can't get wait to get you samples, Sarah. To yeah, check out. so that's going to oh, be Oh, I'm super excited fun. to check them out. 
And they're five milligrams. They're a five to one CBD is our common focus. It's sparkling strawberry rosé. And then our peach prosecco is a um, five milligram sativa. And that's our brighter day. And then tart cherry pinot noir is our um, five to one THC to CBD indica blissful rest. So we're still keeping with the ratios. Um, we're still formulating full spectrum. We made the fast acting chemistry in house. So we're really proud of that. And they're really good. Oh, I, that's, I, I love the way they sound. I'm excited to try them out. And I think it's very cool that you're, that you're giving a holler back to your wine country roots. Right, doubling down on wine country. We from wine country. Yeah, well, you know, and they've they've been really well received so far in the market. We haven't launched them yet. We're getting ready to launch them in a couple weeks, but um, we've got pre-orders. People are getting pretty excited about them. We're building our launch plan, so that's really great. That's awesome. I think one thing that you know a lot of people don't understand because you see all this like see a lot of these articles that are more contentious like wine country and cannabis locking horns and whenever I see that I kind of laugh I'm like I know there's a reality there have been definitely some things that have been going on and you know I know that you've been a really amazing advocate for how wine and cannabis are successful side by side but I think a thing that a lot of people don't understand is that a lot of grape cultivators for decades have been growing like I had Phil Couture on was it last year the year before and you know Phil you know he doesn't he doesn't you know distribute but he grows his own little stash and and I've I have smoked it and it is very very good (laughs) nice 100% weed is everywhere in wine country so the idea that it's not is such a farce yeah I mean wine and weed kind of go hand in hand you know for people who who don't know that, listen, listeners out there, wine and weed go hand in hand. But (laughs) smoke your weed first, then drink your wine. (laughs) Exactly. I love it. Um, And then what else? We're expanding outside of California. We're getting super excited about that. Um, We've got some really exciting opportunities there. And we just closed our Series A. So we're getting to work and getting kind of stacked up so we get out of this uh, kind of whip wheel of, craziness that we're on and get some team under us and some support and we're really excited to take the company to the next level oh congratulations I'm just I'm so happy for both of you there's nothing that makes me happier than to see you know beautiful products and wonderful people succeeding that's what I, I love thank to see. You. Thank <laughs> you. That means so much, especially coming from you. Thank you so much, friend. Oh, absolutely. Like I just, you know, I feel like there's just, you know, there are so many great people working in our industry and the more that, you know, we I, I just like to see everybody doing well, succeeding. It creates safer access, it creates better policy, and I mean, let's be honest, no one likes to work with an asshole. And that's one of the oh, beauties yeah. of getting out of corporate. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Thank you so much, Sarah. This has just been so much fun. Oh, I'm so glad. And for our listeners that want to reach out to you, how can they follow you online? So you can find us at www.thegardensociety.com. And then on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, we're at GRDN Society. 
Awesome. And for those of you out there who want to follow Planted online, we have our website. It's www.plantedwithsarah. We are also on Instagram, uh, Planted with Sarah, Planted with Sarah on Twitter, Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook. And you can listen to this podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, Apple, Google, Amazon, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You have Planted there for you. Hopefully, we are one of your favorite podcasts. We are your favorite podcast. And if you want to share it, please share your love for Planted with your friends and family. And when you are listening, please do reviews because people look for other people's input. And I keep getting such great feedback on our episodes because we have such awesome people like Aaron and Carly on there. But we want to spread the love and spread the message. So... Until we meet again, be good to each other. We still have a wave, so stay safe. And it's a crazy world out there, so do a little something to make the world a better place. And until next time, take care and stay curious.